Well, anyways, um, full confession, uh, the pastoral team, as we were putting together the preaching calendar for 2024, uh, we all had the hope that either the Cleveland Browns or the Buffalo Bills were going to be in the Super Bowl, and that we could really talk up and use that as a celebratory uh, focus uh, for this week, uh, between uh, the week before really the Latin season starts. Uh, but alas, we are all parts of suffering fan bases. And the Cleveland Browns, or my beloved Buffalo Bills, are not in the Super Bowl, so we had a pivot. And uh, so we pivoted. Now looking at uh, the context of athletics still, as it relates to the Christian life, uh, maybe a better illustration from the scriptures, other than football, Robbie's already said it, is actually running. Now the fact that both Pastor Robbie and I love the sport of running, we've made it an integral part of our daily lives, it only makes sense that this is the sermon fodder we're going to use to kind of push through a, a conversation on what it takes to really pursue faithfully and uh, effectively through the Christian life. You know, as Christians, this is no new news to any of us, but we are pressing on toward a prize. Amen? Now, this, there's, this does not mean there's supposed to be stagnancy or regression in our walk with Christ, but how often— do those two words, stagnancy or even regression, define our walk with the Lord? I, I don't know about you, but I can find myself uh, taking the role of couch potato and, and watching other people champion the Christian faith and, and trying to, to, in a sense, vicariously live through them, right? We, we do that in sports a lot, don't we? When the 49ers take on the Kansas City Chiefs in two weekends, I'm going to sit on my couch and be a couch potato, and I'm going to eat a lot of junk food and pizza and watch other people exercise <laughs> and compete. Um, we need to be better than that, right, when it comes to the Christian faith. Another illustration of how we oftentimes will live vicariously through other people in, in regards to athletics or exercise. How many of us have watched the... Uh, Little League dad live out his baseball dreams through his 11-year-old son, right? Melanie's holding her hand up. I was an umpire for one summer, and I'm going to stress it was one summer because I ran into a lot of those types of dads, and I will never again ump a Little League baseball game. I, I sort of now live vicariously through Pastor Robbie's running. Uh, I, I'm not nearly as good of a runner as him. I'm about 10 years older than him, so my, my hips are kind of hurting, my knees are kind of hurting. So, so the best I get to running the amazing times that Robbie runs and, and has run in the past is by vicariously running through him, by cheering him uh, uh, from the sideline position. Uh, and we're going to be cheering him in April when he goes to Boston to, to destroy that marathon. Friends, here's the thing. When it comes to living vicariously through others, when it comes to sports, that's okay. It's okay. It really is. But not when it comes to our faith. We each are running our own race of faith. And it doesn't matter who crosses that finish line first. It only matters that you and I actually cross it. Now the Apostle Paul understood this reality. One reason he often would use either athletic or uh, soldier uh, war imagery when talking about the Christian life, was because much like today, he was immersed in a culture that immortalized both the soldier and the athlete. We do the, the same today, don't we? 
I mean, we know what it takes to be the best when it comes to, to uh, being a, a military person or, or being an athlete. We know what it takes to be the best on the battlefield or on the ball field. This morning, I want to look at a passage out of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is one of the letters he wrote while he was in prison, uh, facing trial for his faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at is just three verses that talk about what we need in order to cross that finish line and receive the prize that Jesus Christ has waiting for us. It's a well-known verse. You've heard it before. Uh, Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, moving to verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it in my own, but one thing I do— Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be over here at Canal Fulton uh, to worship alongside these brothers and sisters of the faith. And as we offer some reflection on your life-giving word, I just pray that you bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts, that they be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So just two verses prior to what I read a moment ago is Paul's famous declaration of his life's desire. Listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on to say, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Man, this passionate declaration of Paul demonstrates his relentless pursuit of an ever-deepening, ever-widening personal knowledge of Jesus, who, by the way, he's already known intimately for 30 years. You see, even Paul knew that when it comes to, to having a deep and intimate relationship with Christ, we never fully arrive there this side of heaven. Therefore, there's always something else to pursue. There's always some aspect of Christ that needs to be uncovered to be better understood. There's always a deeper layer of grace to peel back and to experience this side of heaven. The power of Jesus' resurrection. That was the goal to pursue, and Paul knew that present-day sufferings was the path forward to achieving that goal, achieving fellowship with the resurrected Savior. Goodness. Friends, there is nothing in, in, in the entirety of Scripture that is quite like this explosion of spiritual longing. Friends, Paul's passionate longing to know Christ is really meant to serve, again, as an example for all Christians, people like you and me. We, too, are called to make his passion for Jesus our own. The question remains this morning, will we do it? Verse 12, Paul says, I press on. Verse 14, Paul says, I press toward the goal. In Greek, the idea of pressing on is this idea to run swiftly in order to catch someone or something. It means to run hard after. 
Paul was running hard after Jesus. He was pressing on. Now, even though salvation, and we know this, the moment you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are saved. You are moving in a trajectory towards eternal life. Paul says when you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and know in your heart he has been raised from the dead, you are saved. Salvation is instantaneous. However, spiritual maturity is not. Like we're not going to grow in the faith if we're not spending time in God's word. We know that, right? We're not going to grow in the faith unless we're meeting with our Lord through prayer. We're not going to grow in our faith if we're not gathering together in Christian community. So faith, in a sense, is just the beginning of the race we are to run. This race to know Christ more. We need to exercise our faith, friends, and then actually put it into practice. However, sometimes we need a little motivation, right? I know when I've run my marathons in the past, the voice from the sideline has been made the difference in the world, right? Cheering me on or handing me some water to keep me going. When it comes to the faith, we need motivation, and today Paul gives us motivation with his words. Again, don't forget, Paul is not an infant in the faith. He is one of the super apostles, However, he is still pressing on. He is running the race. He wasn't content to just sit back and take it easy. Like, you know what? I'm old now. I've done my duty. I'm just going to kind of ride into the sunset. No, that wasn't Paul at all. He wanted to make progress. Now, this morning, regarding the race that we as believers run, there are three areas that I think we need to consider when we press on. The first, when it comes to perfection, Paul says we need to be realistic. Second, when it comes to the past, Paul says we need to be forgetful. And third, when it comes to the prize, we need to stay focused. So here's the first. When it comes to perfection, we need to be realistic. Paul says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that to which Christ has already laid hold of me. Friends, Paul makes it very clear here that even him as a super super apostle hasn't arrived. He makes it clear that he hasn't achieved perfection. He's striving hard after it, but he hasn't reached it. Perfection is the goal As the people of God, that is our goal. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48. Perfection is the goal, but we're not fully going to realize that or arrive to that place, this side of heaven. Now, practically speaking, what this means is if we know we're not going to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect this side of heaven, what that is supposed to cultivate within us is a teachable spirit marked with humility. Like, we have to realize that there's always more to learn, always something else to be taught, and always more depth to achieve. You know, when we don't have a teachable spirit marked with humility, what that can cause us to do is become arrogant, to think our voice is the most important voice in any conversation we have. No, we have to cultivate uh, a teachable spirit marked with humility. What does that look like in, in real life? Uh, the most impressive human being I've ever met was my own father. He, he is the most well-read person I, I know. Um, he is, was a retired Methodist preacher of over 40 years, been preaching for over 50. He was a Wesleyan scholar. 
Uh, if you add all the time together in his life, uh, 70 years of life, 72 years of life, he has spent months of his life leading spiritual pilgrimages either to, to the Holy Lands or over to England, Scotland, and Ireland. Yet my father never uh, leads you to believe he's a lead expert in any room or any setting he goes into. Uh, there was a, uh, I will never forget the moment I was on a spiritual pilgrimage with my dad in 2012. He wasn't leading the trip, he just went with me uh, to have some time with his son. And uh, we are somewhere in northern England uh, on a tour bus, and the tour guide is just, you know, spouting over the intercom system, uh, just historical facts about England or about John and Charles Wesley and the Methodist movement, as many as he could. And I'm sitting there listening to it, trying to, to, to digest what he's saying. I look over, my dad is scribbling notes. And I'm thinking to myself in that moment, Dad, what are you writing? Like, you could lead this tour probably better than this guy is leading this tour. Why, why, what, do you, what notes are you scribbling that you don't already know? And my dad must have knew what I was thinking, because all of a sudden he stopped writing. He looks at me, and he says, Jared, you want to know why I love coming over here? Because every time I do, I learn something new. This is the kind of teachable spirit marked with humility that Paul is talking about in our pursuit of perfection. Paul, the most spectacular Christian this side of heaven, confessed that he had not yet arrived. He had not yet become perfect. He admitted his own need to grow into maturity. Friends, the reality is the more we come to know Christ, the more we're going to come to sense our need to grow in Christ. <laughs> and, and when we imagine that we have already arrived, we stop growing. Stagnation sets in. Worse, regression may occur. So we, like Paul, must confess our shortcomings and resolve to press on to take hold, to lay hold of that which Christ has already laid hold of for us. So, so next, Paul's going to transition from his imperfection to his forgetfulness. So Paul says, when it comes to the past, be forgetful. Verse 13, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing I have laid hold of, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead. When it comes to the past, we need to be like Paul and be forgetful. Now, Paul isn't saying in this moment that he doesn't remember his past or his former way of life like somebody with amnesia might. That's not what Paul is saying. He, he clearly understands his past. He knows the person he used to be. In fact, in his letters to the early church, there are huge autobiographical statements from the Apostle Paul that speaks to the reality of who he was but who he now is in Jesus. That's not what he is saying. What he is saying, however, is do not let your past discourage or defeat you. That's what Paul didn't let happen. He didn't let his past discourage or defeat him. He was determined to press on and keep running the race that was in front of him. Now, the struggle that I think Paul was trying to get all of us to avoid in forgetting and why he wanted us to forget our past, because he didn't want the guilt and shame of former sin or a former way of life to hold us back from what God in Christ Jesus has in store for us, from what God has set us free from. You know the voice of the devil is one who's trying to make you feel shameful and guilty all the time? 
if that rebuke that in the name of Jesus, because Jesus has set you free from the former way of life, from your past sin. Paul also will not allow himself to rest on the laurels of his past successes. He's saying that was great back then, but there's more to do in front of us. I had a friend in law enforcement in my police days named Pat Nolan. Uh, Pat Nolan was an exceptional runner like Robbie. I don't think Pat ever broke 14 minutes in the five-kilometer race, but he came pretty close. He ran a sub-four-minute mile. Just a phenomenal runner in high school and college. However, when I met Pat, he was a couple years older than me, the, uh, the uh, sedentary ways of a police officer kind of set in. He got himself pretty heavy. He was pretty big. He couldn't run a mile probably in 10 minutes at the time I met Pat. Well, I get on his midnight squad, and we had this awesome lieutenant named Vic Lepredo. And Vic would always pick on Pat, and he would use me to pick on Pat. He'd say, look at Jared. He's in such good shape. He's faster than you, Pat. You can never catch Jared, even though I could never touch any of the times that Pat could touch when he was a younger person in high school and college. So Pat, trying to save face, would always start talking about all the personal records he had when he was in high school and college. And Jared, did you ever run a 14-minute 5K? Did you ever run a break four minutes in the mile? And my lieutenant always got the, the, the upper uh, hand, the last comment on Pat. He'd shake his head. He'd be like, there Pat goes, living in the past. There Pat goes, living in the past. Friends, remembering the past in such ways It stunts our growth in Christ today. And it's not helpful. It's actually a hindrance. Uh, Pastor author John MacArthur articulates it this way. I love it. He says, Paul made a break with everything in his past, both good and bad. Religious achievements, virtuous deeds, great successes in ministry, as well as sins, missed opportunities, and disasters must all be forgotten. Why? Because they do not control the future. Believers cannot live on past victories, nor should they be debilitated by the guilt of past sins. They must break from the past if they are to pursue the spiritual prize. And then he ends by saying, God is interested in what believers do now and in the future. No one, Jesus declares in Luke 9, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The clearest vision belongs to those who forget the past. I love it. A remarkable story came out in 1954. It was the British Empire Games. At that time, only two men on the face of this earth could break the four-minute mile. Roger Bannister was the one, and do you know who the other one was? Robbie might. He's up there. John Landy. Well, there was at the British Empire Games... In 1954, there was going to be a race where those two men would go head-to-head to to see who actually was the fastest man in the mile on the face of this earth. Now, Roger Bannister went into preparation for this meet, and the day of, he he had a strategy he he wanted to put into place. It's a four-lap race on a 400-meter track, and the, the third lap, he wanted to kind of back off a little bit so he could save some in his tank and in that final straightaway kick out John Landy. Well, as the race is going on, they, they get to the third lap. Roger Bannister's realizing he, he's got to switch up his strategy because Landy's already far enough ahead of him where if he was to, to, to let up a little bit, he would 
just grow that much more distance in between them. So he had to spend the third lap catching up to John Landy. Fourth lap, they're coming in the last turn until the last straightaway. John Landy does the most idiotic thing you can do as a runner. Does anyone know what he did? He looked behind him. He couldn't hear Bannister's footsteps, so he looks over his shoulder. That fatal lapse of concentration caused him to lose his focus. He lost his rhythm, threw his stride off, and Bannister beat him by five meters. <laughs> Friends, we too must forget what lies behind if we're ever to reach the prize the Lord has called us heavenward to. So when it comes to perfection, be realistic. When it comes to the past, be forgetful. And when it comes to the prize, we need to be focused. Forgetting his past achievements and failures, Paul was liberated, verse 13, to press on toward the goal, towards the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was able to keep the proper focus. Friends, we need to keep the proper focus on the goal which is the prize of our upward call of God in Christ. Man, Paul was so focused on eternity and what awaited him that he did not allow the, 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 the lesser things of this world to distract him. Can't we get so bogged down in those lesser things of this world that, that we lose sight of what's in front of us, of the prize that's in store for us? Friends, our focus needs to be clear and our eyes need to be fixed on the eternal Listen, if you're overwhelmed in life right now, if you're bogged down with the minutiae that just seems to be distracting you, can you pause for a moment and look up? If you are in a funk, you're discouraged, you're, you're allowing shame or guilt or even arrogance to paralyze you, can you pause for a moment and just look up? If you're allowing other people to... to to, to, to move you off of the course that God has called you and can you pause for a moment and just look up? Listen, the house we live in, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear aren't going to matter in eternity. You know that, right? What will matter is whether or not we live lives that please God, that brought him glory. Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourself treasure in, on earth where rust and moth Moths will destroy, will, where thieves will break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and rust will not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Listen, when it comes to the prize, Paul was focused. Let me ask a question. How well are you running this race? How you doing? Like, are you pressing on with the same fervor and determination that marked Paul's life? In your pursuit of Jesus, oh, is your pursuit marked with, with, with humility? Are you letting go of the shame and guilt and the arrogance of your past? Do you have a singular focus on Christ and staying engaged so one day you achieve that crown of righteousness that awaits all the faithful? Jesus says in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate, right? For the great that is wide and the road is easy, it leads to destruction and many will find it. For the gate is narrow, the road is hard that leads to life and only few will find it. Will you be one of the few 
who finds the road, though it may be narrow and hard, the road that leads to life. You know, my favorite runner of all time, I think we have a picture of him, is Eric Little. Uh, Eric Little's life is portrayed in the 1980s Oscar-winning movie Chariots of Fire. Now, what immortalized this athlete in my mind had more to do with the race he ran off the track than the one he ran on the track. Sure, he was a decorated Olympian. Uh, 1924 Paris Olympic Games, he won the gold medal in the 400 meters. And the only reason he was in that race was because he refused to run the 100 meter that was on Sunday. He was a man of conviction. He thought Sunday was the Sabbath, the day of rest. I will not work on Sunday. So, so the UK at that time uh, jostled around some of the athletes. And even though he was the favorite to win the 100 meter dash, he, he gave that up and they put him in the 400 meter dash. And the, the Lord honored his, his, his uh, convictions and he won the 400 meter dash. Anyways, what I love about his story is, is after he became a decorated track athlete, he dedicated his life to mission work in China. Now, during the early years of World War II, while, while in China, even though he could have left with his wife and kids to Canada and be safe, he chose to stay and continue to minister and serve the poor. That decision ended up costing his, him his, his earthly life years later. He suffered hardship. He ended up in a concentration camp where he was forced to do hard labor while, while being starved to death. Eventually, he ended up developing a brain tumor and dying. The brain tumor, we're cold, told, they believe, was developed because of the, the overwork and, and because of the starvation. Uh, initially, Eric Little's grave was nothing more than a wooden cross with his name written across uh, the uh, horizontal beam in, in shoe polish. After the war was over, they exhumed his body. They put him in a mausoleum, mausoleum for martyrs in a city in China. I don't know what was engraved on his coffin when they put him in that mausoleum for martyrs. But what I hope it says is he died running. <laughs> Friends, here was a man whose life was given to one thing, forgetting what lay behind and straining forward to what lay ahead. He pressed on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He died running. Friends, may we all be like Eric Little. May we all be like the Apostle Paul. May we all die running for and with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, I thank you for giving us the ultimate vision, for giving us a picture, a glimpse for what awaits all people who trust in Jesus for salvation. And yet, Lord, in our world, it is so easy to get bogged down. It's so easy to get distracted on the lesser things. So I ask, oh God, that you'd meet us again in this moment. That you'd give us a clear sense of where we're going. Remind us, Lord, of the glory that awaits all of us who press hard after Jesus in this life. Lord, we want to one day hear those immortalized words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's fellowship. God, keep us focused on the path that gets us there. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.